1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read 18 verses. If I get past 18 verses today, it'll be a miracle. And um, so we're going we're gonna to commit to the first 18 verses today, and then we'll finish out the chapter next week, unless something unforeseen happens today, and I get through the whole chapter. Let's read together, and then we're going to pray together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense... Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, as is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me also, for it would be better for me to die that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened up your word, we ask that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds, and that by the power of your spirit, that you would illuminate this word, that it would be truth that would set us free that it would be truth that would change and transform us and conform us to the very image of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you that you would be glorified as your gospel is preached today, as your word is shared and made known, that you would do a work in your people, in our hearts and in our minds, 
that you would be glorified in your church. God, give us ears to hear, hearts open and ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Rights and wrongs. Okay, so remember as we read the Word of God, you've got a Bible and your Bible is broken down in chapter and verse. And it's very easy for us as we read our Bibles to read a verse here and read a verse there, here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse, you know, on our refrigerator, on our bumper stick, on our bumpers of our car and on our t-shirts. And, and that's all great. But we can never forget that the word of God was delivered to us, not in minute pieces called verses. It was delivered to us as a whole. As a, as a complete thought. And so, for instance, in this, in this book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, there are lots of thoughts. There are lots of themes. There are lots of things that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about, but they're not just all separated things that are left unto themselves. And so chapter 9 is no different. It would be very easy for us to say, okay, now we've broken from chapter 8, and we're going to chapter 9, and Paul has switched subjects to the rights of a preacher of the gospel to be compensated or to live by the gospel. And he is talking about that, but that's really not, as we look at this chapter, that's, that's not really what Paul is, the point he's trying to make here. He makes this point, but he makes this point for a greater reason. Now, in, in chapter 8, Paul was talking about things sacrificed to idols, whether we should eat meat sacrificed to idols, and he talked about the rights of the, the believer, and he talked about the liberty of the believer, and he, he talked about a lot of things, but he also talked about how we are to approach the weaker brother, how we're to hold our rights in their proper place and not abuse our rights. He's not changed subjects when we get to chapter 9 here. So Paul continues to deal with the question of the rights of the believer. So in chapter 8, he deals with the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And in that chapter, he clearly teaches that, that idols are not anything and that eating or not eating food neither commends us or condemns us. I'm not better because I eat a certain diet and I'm not worse because I eat a certain diet. Now, we're not talking about health. There's a healthy way to eat and an unhealthy way to eat. We're talking about holiness, righteousness. Eating a certain way doesn't make me more holy or more righteous in God's eyes. And so it's not about whether we eat or the food we eat, whether it commends us or condemns us. What's important to consider is how the exercise of our rights affect others. And so some argued based on their superior knowledge because they had matured to this point that they had a right to eat meat sacrificed to idols because they understood that idols were nothing and meat didn't commend us to God and that type of thing. Then they were doing this at the expense of those less knowledgeable. And Paul argued that knowledge based on anything but love would lead to no less than an inflated ego and eventually would bring about a fall the Bible says pride goes before a fall. And so from this inflated ego, it would cause a stumbling brought about by pride. 
And Paul goes on to say this is a sin against Christ. Not just a sin against your brother, but it's a sin against Christ. It's a sin against his body. So when we get to chapter 9, Paul uses his rights, and he's going to lay out his rights as a minister. He uses his rights as a minister of the gospel as an example to the Corinthians. He does this to help them understand that to exercise our right is sometimes wrong, and sometimes to refuse our right is actually the right thing to do. Are you tracking with me? Now, before we get into Paul, let me read a scripture to you from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And in, this, in, in Peter's letter here, Peter commands the Jews not to use their freedom as a cloak for vice or maliciousness. So let's read verses 11 through 17, 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you as, a, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as, to, as supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, it's interesting there. Peter, in verse 17, he says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. He's talking about unbelievers and believers. Honor all people, believer and unbeliever. Love the brotherhood. Love the brethren. Love the body. Fear God and honor the king. So, what Peter is referring to here is, is, is really different than what Paul is referring to. Well, the context is different. So Peter is writing to Jews. Now, if you know anything about history, you know that the Jews historically were a people that did not like to be, at least in Romans' times, if you read the history of the Jews during the time of the Roman Empire, Rome had a horrible time with the Jews in Palestine. And nobody wanted to be the governor. It was like the, it was like the outpost from hell. Nobody wanted to be there because there was constant conflict and rebellion taking place. And so Peter is writing, and if you, you can read history all the way up to 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed and, and the Roman armies were sent in to, to they were sent in because there was this sedition, there was this uprising. And Peter is saying, look, you guys need to cool it. Your constant seditions against the government, your constant troublemaking is giving a bad name to Christ. The world, the Gentiles, even the rest of the people in the church, the Gentile believers are looking at you and you guys are like considered evildoers because you think you have this right to overthrow the government and you guys need to what? 
You need to learn to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Paul says, you're right, you are free men, but you're free men in Christ. That doesn't mean you have the right to overthrow the Roman government. That doesn't mean you have the right to just create uprisings and rebellions and cause trouble because you're not giving a witness to Christ that is building up, it's tearing down. And Paul, so Paul says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So we see this at even a, if we could say it at a national level, Peter is saying, don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. When we get here to 1 Corinthians, Paul is bringing this down to a personal level. And he's really saying, don't, he's saying the same thing Peter's saying, don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. Because you may have the right to eat whatever meat you want to eat, but you don't have a right to destroy your brother. And you're using your liberty as a cloak for vice because it's not building up, it's tearing down. So we need to be careful not to allow our rights to become the cause to be seen as evildoers. Love is the rule that must govern the exercising of our rights in Christ. Love for God first, and coupled with our love for God is the love for our neighbor that we would love our neighbor as ourself. So love may demand the exercise of our rights, even to our harm. So when the rulers of the temple, when the Pharisees told the disciples, stop preaching Christ, what was the response of Peter and John? You tell us, Pharisees, is it better to obey God or men? So when Peter writes, obey the king even as supreme, how are we to understand that? We understand that the king, even though he may reign on the earth as supreme, he reigns under the lordship of God. And so I obey the king until the king tells me to disobey the one that is supreme over him. What Paul is saying, what Peter is saying, is these issues that you guys are having issues with don't have anything to do with your ability to love God, to worship God, and to serve Him. You're just trying to use your liberty as a, as a cloak for vice to exercise your right. And that exercising of that right is not loving your brother. It's an unloving act. So love may demand the exercise of our rights even to our harm, but we must be willing to refuse our rights so as not to cause our brother to stumble. We also must be willing to grow and to mature out of our weakness. So somewhere along the way, people who think that it's still a sin to eat bacon, they need to come to a place where they understand that I can eat bacon and still go to heaven, okay? I might clog my arteries quicker than I had anticipated. But I'm not unrighteous and unholy because I eat bacon and you don't. So my weakness I can't use as a cloak either and say, well, you know, you you can't eat bacon because, you know, I believe it's a sin. So at some point, we've got to all grow up, right? And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. 
putting away childish things, all of us growing up in him into all things, into Christ, who is the head over all. So we must be willing to grow and mature out of our weakness and hold our rights with the proper tension of freedom governed by love. The proper tension of freedom governed by love. Love may demand sometimes that you lay down your right. And you must be willing to lay your right down for the sake of love. Amen? First Corinthians, verse 1, Paul declares his, the right of those who preach the gospel. Actually, this is from verses 1 through 18. Paul uses this right of the minister of the gospel as an example. And so in verses 1 and 2, Paul declares and affirms his calling as an apostle, and he declares and affirms his freedom. So Paul does this to let the Corinthians know that if knowledge and calling is the measure of one's rights and freedom, Paul, above all the Corinthians, should be able to exercise his rights and freedoms. He brought the gospel to them. He oversaw their conversion. And Paul says, you are the seal of my apostleship. He said, one of the proofs of my apostleship is your very faith. And we see in the beginning of this letter, Paul describes how he came to them and that it was in weakness and fear and in trembling that Paul declared the powerful word of God. And Paul said, I didn't come as a salesman with slick words selling the gospel to you. He said, I came in a state of fear and trembling and it was the power of the gospel. The very fact of your faith testifies to the power of God that brought you from unbelief to belief. And he said, your belief, your faith is the very seal of my apostleship. So he's affirming his apostleship here. And then he asked this series of rhetorical questions. He says in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? And the implied answer is, yes, we have a right to eat and drink. Verse 5, do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and, and Cephas? And the answer is, yes, we have a right to take along a believing wife. And then in verse 6, he uses the negative sense to ask this question. What he's basically asking in verse 6, he says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? What he's saying is, do Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working? And the answer to that question is, yes, we have a right to refrain from working. And so Paul defends his right as a minister of the gospel to live by the gospel using three legs. The first leg is he uses the custom of men. The second leg is he uses the law of God. And the third leg is he uses the command of Jesus. So let's look at this. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, Even among the custom of men, whoever goes to war at his own expense, or in other words, does a soldier go to war at his own expense? No. No. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Do the people, does the vine dresser who plants the vineyard get to eat from the fruit of the vineyard? He says, yes, of course. Or he says, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Well, no one does. If I tend the flock, I get to drink from the milk of the flock. 
Paul says, this is the custom among men. This is just common sense. But he says, but, but wait, verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? He says, it's not just the custom of men. We don't just see this in our culture that soldiers don't go to war at their own expense and shepherds get to eat the drink the milk from the flock and the, the, the guy who plants the vineyard gets to eat from the vineyard. He said, it's not just the custom of men, but he said, God also in his law has spoken. And he says in verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Paul asks the question, and the answer is no. It's not oxen God's concerned about. God says this not for the sake of the ox, but for the sake of the minister. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul goes on there, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 10. He says, does he say this all together for our sakes? Yes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of that hope. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And so God says, Look, even the ox that treads out the grain is not muzzled. If we've sown spiritual things, it's nothing to reap your material things. Verse 12, if others are partakers of this ride over you. So Paul wasn't the only apostle. And we read when we, as we go through this letter, we've already seen this. There were those in the Corinthian church that were calling into question Paul's, how can we say this? They were calling into question his status or his stature as an apostle. And they said, listen to him. He speaks with such contemptible speech. Look at him. He's such a little guy. He doesn't even look like an apostle. Oh, he sounds really big and powerful in his letters when he writes to us, but have you seen the guy? Have you heard him in person? Who'd want to go to his church? Who would want to go hear him? This is the great apostle? See, there's nothing new under the sun. Men of God have been struggling with the same issues from since the beginning of time. You know why that is? It's the same reason the writer of Ecclesiastes says history is doomed to repeat itself. You know why history is doomed to repeat itself? Because human nature never changes until God changes it, until a man is born again. So a generation dies. My dad was a World War II vet. Some people call it the greatest generation. There's fewer and fewer of these guys left. And as more and more of these guys die, there are people saying, do you see what's happening? We're repeating the very same things that led right to World War I and World War II. We're getting ready to plunge the world back into this chaos. Can't we learn from 
Our past? No. You know why we don't learn from our past? Because generations die and things are forgotten, but human nature stays the same. The sin nature is the same. Men are born sinful. They're born in darkness, separated from God. Their hearts are evil. And so they are doomed to repeat the same evil things that they've done since the beginning of time. And this is why God has said and commanded, preach the gospel. Don't tickle people's ears. Don't tell them just what they want to hear. Don't just do to have a big group in your building and lots of money and lots of nice facilities, but preach and teach the gospel because unless the gospel changes the hearts of men, men are doomed to repeat the same things that took them into death and chaos and destruction. And the good news is that as the gospel continues to be preached, the kingdom continues to grow and to expand. But at the same time, the kingdom continues to grow and expand. We see generations past, things forgotten, men born in their sin, men repeating the same sinful acts and the same sinful deeds. And it will be that way until Jesus returns. There will be a struggle. That struggle will continue until Jesus returns and finally puts all of his enemies under his feet. What are we to do in the meantime? In the meantime, we are to preach the gospel. We are to live the gospel. We are to do the very thing that Paul is telling us to do here. If there's anybody on planet earth that ought to know how to love one another, it should be the church. So Paul is saying, you guys, for love's sake, for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake, lay down your rights that he might be glorified. Because the reality is, it's not about us, it's about him. And so Paul says, look, others are partakers of this right over you. How much more are we deserving of this right given to us by God? But we've chosen not to use this right for the sake of the gospel. Verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? <coughs> Excuse me. So if you go in the Old Testament, for instance, if you go uh, to Exodus or to Leviticus and, and, and Deuteronomy <clears throat> and you look at the law as given by God, and the sacrifices that were required to be brought. So you had a whole tribe of people who, the Levites, you had a whole tribe of people who basically lived, that's what they lived off of. And so all of those animals brought in, all that grain brought in, all that wine brought in, all that stuff brought in, yet it was offered to God, but it was also those guys that served the altar, that served and ministered in the temple, that's, that's, that's where they got their food, that's how they ate. So it's kind of like you guys... I did for many years work a secular job. I was bivocational. My whole goal in being bivocational, once I came to understand I had a call upon my life, because I wasn't raised in church. I had no plans of ever being in the ministry. And I can remember uh, walking to the laundromat in my apartment complex one day carrying a basket of laundry. And I've, I've, I, I'm not, I would say that I've never had an open vision or anything, but 
But if I've ever had anything that comes close to a vision, I, I just... I, I just knew, I just saw myself preaching the gospel, and I, I didn't really even understood what that really meant. But it's just like right there, God sealed something in me, and I knew that I was called to preach the gospel. I didn't belong to a church. The only people I knew that belonged to a church at that time were my sisters who lived two and a half hours south of me. I'd never gone to church. Actually, I went with Ann Hazel to church once while I was in college. I went with her to Glad Tidings. And this, I think, was actually uh, during the time when God was dealing with me and I was resisting uh, him in all futility. But, but I, I came to understand that I was called to preach. I didn't know how that would happen, what that would look like, but it was just something that was just in me. And for many years, I was bivocational. And I worked jobs. I was a commission salesman. I worked straight commission. So I always tell people, I said, everybody should have to live straight commission at least one year out of their life. Um, so, you know, if, if you're straight commission, you don't sell, you don't make any money. You don't, I had no guarantees. I had nothing. So I didn't sell labels, bags, tags, pricing guns, pricing systems. I didn't earn anything. And so I lived, I, I did that for eight years. And uh, among other things before that in some after that, to support my family. And little by little, I never asked the church to put me on. Uh, I just did what was put before me. And Roland, is, uh, Roland has been an elder here, um, gosh, since, uh, since I can remember. And Roland was one of the elders that, uh, I guess, by the grace of God and the kindness of his heart, he, he saw... Uh, that I had a heart for the ministry, and, and these guys just little by little uh, would help me out. And finally, in 1998, when Pastor Bennett was uh, diagnosed with, with uh, colon cancer and he had to undergo emergency surgery, uh, that's when him and the elders decided to put me on full-time. So since 1998, I have been full-time in the ministry. And I live off of and depend on the ministry for my livelihood. That's the way it is now. It may not always be that way. I don't know. Paul, in his writing here to the Corinthians, is saying, as a minister of the gospel, as an apostle, I have a right to live by the gospel. But I have chosen... Corinthians, not to exercise that right over you, though there are others who exercise that right over you. I don't do that. And he says, it's the custom of men. It's the law of God. Those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. And in verse 14, he says, it's not only... The law of God, it is the command of our Lord. In verse 14, he says, Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. He's like, okay, in case you guys want a New Testament reference. No, there was no New Testament back then, okay? <laughs> but there was the word of Jesus, right? So Paul wasn't reading from his letter to the Corinthians when he quoted that. He was writing the letter. And he said, the Lord Jesus commanded, not just the law of Moses, but the Lord has commanded 
that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. Matthew 10, 9 and 10 and Luke 10, 4 through 7. It's where Jesus sends them out and he says, don't take a money bag, don't take gold or silver. Go to the village, find a person of peace. If they bring you into your house, stay there. Don't go from house to house. What they put before you to eat, eat it. If you don't like oatmeal and they give you oatmeal, eat it. Don't tell them you don't like oatmeal. Just eat it with thankfulness in your heart. We get to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, and we see the apostles overseeing the church, and the church is growing, and there's issues coming up, and the Greek widows are getting shorted because they feel like that some of the Hebrews are not giving them their due because, after all, they're just Greeks. They're not really Hebrews. And the apostles say, look, Select from among yourselves faithful men, men full of the Spirit, men committed to God, submitted to God, to serve tables, to feed the poor, to take care of the widows and the orphans, so that we can commit ourselves continuously to prayer in the ministry of the Word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Now, where did the apostles get that idea that they had the right to appoint other people to serve tables, and they could just spend all of their time praying and ministering the Word of God. Where did they get that right? Well, they got that right all the way back to the Old Testament law of Moses, and and certainly from what Jesus had commanded them to do when he sent them out to preach the gospel. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's reminding the Corinthians of these things. He says, I have a right as an apostle to live by the gospel. There's a custom among men that says this is the way it should be. There is the law of God given to Moses that says this is the way it should be. And there is the command of our Lord Jesus that says, if I live, if I preach the gospel, I am to live by the gospel. So Paul makes this statement to them. Paul says, I have the right. But Paul does not choose to exercise or to use that right. Now look at verse 15. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. So Paul has the right, but he does not choose to use his right. He's chosen not to use his right, and he is not willing that these things, he's not writing these things so that it should be done so to him. In other words, Paul says, I'm not manipulating you trying to get you to give to me. You can turn on Christian television at any given time of the day 
or night, and I would venture to say you'd be hard-pressed not to find very soon someone, I'm just saying, it appears to me, that spends a lot of time trying to manipulate people into giving. This is not what Paul is doing. He's not manipulating the Corinthians to give to him. He's not laying out his rights as an apostle and as a preacher of the gospel in an effort to get a bigger offering or to get more tithes into the church. He's really using his right as an example of why the Corinthians should be willing to lay down their rights to eat whatever meat they want to eat. He says, you guys think you got it tough because you can't go have that ribeye steak down at the, at the uh, idol, temple of the idol? They got a special on grilled ribeyes, and you're upset because you can't go have your grilled ribeye today because some weak brother is going to get offended. And so you just say, well, that's too bad. That brother just needs to grow up. I'm going to have my ribeye. Paul says, you, you think you've got it? You think that's a sacrifice for you? Do you know what I have a right to? Have I come to you and asked you for anything? Do you know that I have a right to be compensated by you? Do you know that I have a right to live by the gospel? There is not just a custom. There is not just the law of Moses. There is the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I choose not to exercise that right over you for the sake of the gospel. Corinthians, can't you do the same and choose to not exercise certain of your rights for the sake of your brethren and for the sake of unity and for the sake of building up the body of Christ? This is really what Paul is saying here. But the fact that Paul is using his right as a minister of the gospel as an example does not diminish that right. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't diminish the fact that this is what God has commanded. It doesn't diminish that. So Paul's not manipulating the Corinthians to get them to give. Paul has chosen to refuse his right rather than make his boasting void. What what does that mean? Paul says, look at verse 16. He says, man, I'm not going to give up this right and, and have anyone make my boasting void. Well, that sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? Why is Paul boasting? What's he boasting about? Look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. He's not boasting because he's a preacher of the gospel. He says, if I preach the gospel, I don't have anything to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying, it doesn't matter whether you pay me or don't pay me. I have laid this right down willingly Because I lay it down with a reward in view. He said, I'm not going to have anyone make my boasting void. I don't boast because I preach the gospel, he said. I preach the gospel because necessity is laid upon me. God has put a calling upon my life, and I have no choice in whether I preach the gospel or not. In other words, Paul wasn't preaching the gospel so he could have a six-car garage and three of those spots have a Rolls Royce in them. No. Paul wasn't preaching the gospel so he could go around and boast and say, look at me, I'm a preacher of the gospel. Paul said, no, I preach the gospel because necessity has been laid upon me. 
The Lord has put a calling upon me, and it is no longer my choice whether I'm preaching the gospel or not. Woe, in fact, he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Because if Paul chose not to preach the gospel, he would be in direct disobedience. He would violate everything he is and everything he's called to. So when Paul says, when he talks about this boasting, it's not just about preaching the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, the this If I do this willingly, he's not saying if I preach the gospel willingly. He's already told us in verse 16 he has no choice but to preach the gospel. What he's saying is if I lay down my right willingly, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I, if if you guys... Deny me the compensation due me against my will. He said, doesn't change anything. I have a stewardship that's been committed to me, that's been given to me by God. My preaching of the gospel is not dependent upon whether you compensate me or not, how much you compensate me. I lay this right down willingly Because I have a reward in view, not from you guys, but from the Lord. The reward really is, we're going to see in verse 18 what the reward is. It's amazing. It reveals something about the heart of Paul. Paul says, if I do it unwillingly, if you guys, if even if I wanted your money and you refused to give it to me, it wouldn't change the fact I'm still going to preach the gospel to you because that is the necessity that's been laid upon me. This is the stewardship that's been given to me. So what Paul does willingly is refuse to exercise his right over the Corinthians to live by the gospel. He does this knowing that he has a reward. And even if he lays down this right against his will, it doesn't void the stewardship entrusted to him by God as one called to preach the gospel. So Paul lays down his right with a reward in view. What is that reward? Well, he tells us. Let's look at his own words. Verse 18 in Paul's own words. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. There was never a question of whether Paul would preach the gospel. There was never a question, at least in his mind, of his calling as an apostle and his call to preach and to live by the gospel. Paul is compelled to preach the gospel. He cannot deny his calling and stewardship to preach the gospel given to him by God. He willingly lays down his right at least in regard to the Corinthian church. Now, turn over, hold your place there in 1 Corinthians. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now, you've got to remember, Paul's ministry spanned uh, decades. And we really only have glimpses in, in the epistles of the New Testament 
in this very short section of your Bible, we don't have a comprehensive record of all the decades that Paul preached the gospel or all the years that he preached the gospel. And we have to, we have to guess that you know, if Paul died in, in the mid to late 60 A.D., Jesus was crucified 33-34 A.D. It was several years after the crucifixion of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. Let's, let's just say Paul began preaching in earnest in around 40 A.D. I don't know if I'm just throwing a date out there. Let's, let's just say for 28 years... For over 25 years, Paul preached the gospel. The epistles that Paul wrote that we have in our New Testament don't give us 25 years worth of detail of his life. Because really, these epistles aren't about Paul, they're about Christ. But we know from his writing in 1 Corinthians that he relinquished his right as a minister of the gospel in term, as far as the Corinthians were concerned. But if we go to Philippians chapter 4, let's read in Philippians chapter 4, we see that Paul, Paul received financial aid. He received aid from the Philippian church. Let's begin reading in verse 10, Philippians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, when we get to this verse that's probably on somebody's bumper or on somebody's refrigerator, I want you to remember the context in which Paul makes this declaration. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Just the way, Paul is saying, just the way God has supplied all of my need, God will supply all of your need. What did Paul say? He said, I've learned to be abased. I've learned to abound. We can read in other places in Paul's writings where he says, I was naked, homeless, cold, wet, left for dead. But God supplied all of his needs. God sustained him. Now that presents a far different picture than what we often hear when we read some books, and watch some Christian television program. What I'm saying to you is that God knows how to supply our need, and he knows what our need is. And sometimes our wants are different than our needs. I'll be honest with you. I want this church to be full. There was a time 
a number of years ago when we were running two services on a Sunday morning. We had well over 200 people coming. It's far different right now. I've, I've, I've known what it means to abound, and I, I now know what it means to be abased. <laughs> to have great abundance and to suffer lack. But in all of it, God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's not the provision that's important. It's, it's what we're doing. It was the preaching of the gospel that was important to Paul. Paul said, I don't care whether I'm rich or poor, clothed or naked. I'm called to preach the gospel, and I'm going to preach the gospel in whatever state I find myself, and I'm going to be content in whatever state I find myself as long as I can preach the gospel. So we see in his letter to the Philippians that they actually provided financial help, and Paul took that help. He lived by the gospel, but he also knew when it was time to relinquish that right. And he's using that as an example to help the Corinthians understand the importance of holding our freedom, our liberty in proper tension with love. So Paul lays down his right with a reward in view, and he says, this is my reward that I preach the gospel without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul's reward is to offer the gospel without charge. You know, when Marty and Rick asked me to come to Colorado to teach, I never asked them, well, are you going to take up an offering for me? I mean, they bought my plane ticket, flew me up there, gave me a place to stay. The people came. We taught. And there was never a thought. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying, you know what made that possible? You guys made that possible in large part. Just like when Paul wrote to the Philippians. And he said, you guys were the only ones that sent aid to me. No one else was able to. And I know you guys have wanted to send aid to me, but you've lacked the opportunity. You weren't able to, but now you're able to. And I rejoice, not because of the gift, but I rejoice because of the fruit that, that is applied to your account. I wish I could find the quote by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson said, we don't, we don't pay pastors to preach, or we don't pay pastors to pastor. We pay pastors so that they are free to serve. I could go to Colorado and teach freely without any thought of whether these guys were going to give me an offering or not because of the generosity and the obedience that my church back in Taylor enables me to live by the gospel. I don't have to charge for funerals and weddings. I don't. Because to me, that's just part of preaching the gospel. Because you guys make it possible for me to do things like that. You make it possible for me, for Caleb, to be free to serve. 
So when someone calls and says, hey, we need to move a household, who do you think I call now? I say, hey, Caleb, hook up the trailer. Loretta needs you. <laughs> now Loretta doesn't even call me. She just calls Caleb or whoever, you know? I mean, so, you know, there, there is a freedom to serve. Paul says, I willingly lay down that right with you, Corinthians. And I lay it down with a reward in mind. My reward is that I can go, I can come to you, and I can offer the gospel free of charge. So whether it was Paul's tent making or whether it was other churches that were supporting him, he was willing to lay this right down. And so Paul uses the refusal of his right as an example. So Paul's example is is to enforce not our rights. Listen, Paul's not enforcing his own right here. Paul's using this as an example to enforce the rule of love and self-denial for the sake of love. We will see this even more as we continue in this letter. Now remember, these guys got this letter from Paul and they sat down and they read it all at once. And so the thought process was much more cohesive. So by the time they got out of chapter 9 into into chapter 10, then he starts to bring correction in chapters 11 and 12 about the Lord's table and spiritual gifts. And then he gets into chapter 13 and he's talking about love. And all of this, he's talking about love. And he's saying, you guys are so spiritual. You're so full of yourselves. You've got such inflated egos because you think you're so gifted and you're so this and you're so that. But the reality is, if you don't have love, you're nothing. So Paul's not just trying to manipulate these guys to give to him. This isn't about money. This is about love. And he's simply using his right as a minister, as an example of how we can lay down our own rights for the sake of others. Paul is continuing to address this issue. How do we deal with the weaker brother in the face of our rights? Exercising our rights can sometimes be wrong, and refusing our rights can can oftentimes be the way of love. Amen? Whether we exercise or whether we refuse our rights, we are to do all in love for the building up of the body. You have rights, exercise them, but don't exercise them apart from love. God didn't give us rights to abuse. We are free in Christ. Our freedom in Christ now enables us to lay down our rights. It enables us to build up one another in love as the body of Christ. So here's my challenge to you. That you would consider not only your rights but the rights of others in the light of love. Paul's right to refuse financial compensation didn't give the Corinthians the right to refuse to give of their material things. Paul had a right to be compensated, but he willingly laid that right down. You, listen church, you may have 
rights in regards to a lot of things. As a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a parent, a child, as an employee or an employer. You have rights as a freeborn citizen of this nation. Whatever the case may be, how does the exercise of our rights affect those around us? Does it build them up or does it tear them down? The Bible says love builds up. And God would charge us to relinquish our rights for the building up of one another in love. Building up the body so that he would be glorified and men would testify of his goodness and his grace. That by the love we have for one another, all men would know that we are his disciples. Amen.